Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented. Um, Just to give you a few, um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also I want to invite you listeners to my 
um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me. And 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at the, at the front, will be there. And you can be there too. So if you go to my website, zibbyowens.com, and just click on anthology and go to book tour, you will see um, a whole fundraiser section. And for $50, um, you can attend. You'll get a copy of the book, and you'll get to schmooze on Zoom with all of these amazing authors. This is like going to be the literary happening of February. So please come. I would love to see you all in person on Zoom, I guess, but even see some of your faces. I know so many of you are really loyal listeners, and that makes me really happy. All proceeds of the book and the fundraiser are going to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. And it is named after my husband's mother, who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode has been sponsored by This Is Everything with Ali Levine, a podcast hosted by Hollywood mom, celebrity stylist, influencer, and Bravo reality star, Ali Levine. On her podcast, you'll get a mix of, well, everything from motherhood to fashion, lifestyle, spiritual being, all totally real and raw. You have to listen. Ali interviews celebrities, experts, entrepreneurs, and so much more. Tune in weekly to be uplifted, empowered, inspired, and truly entertained. Hi, everybody. Every so often, I end up with so many amazing episodes, I just have to release them all at once. So this week is going to be a book blast week, and it starts off with today, Memoir Monday, and then goes to Nonfiction Tuesday, Literary Fiction Wednesday, New Novels Thursday, and Family-Themed Memoirs for Friday. So I hope you all enjoy, and welcome to day one of the February book blast, February 1st, Memoir Monday. Laura Tremaine is the author of Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, 10 Questions to Take Your Friendships to the Next Level. You can also find her every week on her podcast, 10 Things to Tell You, where every episode provides a prompt for you to take to your journal or text to a best friend or use to start a deeper, more meaningful conversation. She also sends out a monthly email called The Secret Posts with Personal Thoughts and Reading Recommendations. Laura lives in LA with her husband, Jeff, and their two young children. Prior to this book, she wrote regularly for Hollywood Housewife, which was a blog that opened doors of friendship around the world. And eventually she closed that down and became a co-host on the girlfriend chat show, Sorta Awesome, and is the creator and host of the topic-driven Smartest Person in the World. Welcome, Laura. I'm so excited to welcome you to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I am so excited to be here, Zibby. Thank you for having me. So as I was just saying before the podcast, I feel like I know you because of your amazing podcast and your new book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, 10 Questions to Take Your Friendships to the Next Level. And the best part about this book was all the stuff that you shared, I think. I just wanted to know more and more about you. I was like, forget the questions. Tell me more about Laura. (laughs) 
<laughs> so congratulations on, on the book. Thank you very much. I'm super excited. My first book, even though I've been writing for like all this time, I feel like finally I get to have something I hold in my hand that's not just on the internet. And that must feel amazing, right? It feels amazing. It really does. <laughs> so tell me about the inspiration for this book. What made you write it? Why did you, and why did you sort of package it up this way with questions for other people to ask? It's, it has a little self-help component to it in the midst of the memoir, I would say. It's a lot of, you know, an assortment of like bullets at the end and, you know, 10 funny things or things you wouldn't know about you and then questions you can ask your friends. So tell me about the format choice. Well, it's funny because I always pictured and always wanted to write more traditional memoir or at least personal essay. Like just, I thought that was the more literary sophisticated thing that a person should write. But I did try to do that and it just felt forced. It felt like I was trying to be a sophisticated writer when actually everything flowed a whole lot easier when I just did what I really do, which is just share my story. And talk the same way that I would if I was talking to an audience on my podcast or, you know, on Instagram or something like that. And when I changed up my mindset around it and stopped trying to be like an essayist and just decided to just share the way that I am comfortable sharing, it just came out in this format because on my podcast, which is called 10 Things to Tell You, I ask a question every week and then you're supposed to answer the question. And they're, they're often either introspective or you're supposed to take it to a friend and sort of do it as a get to know you conversation starter. And so it made sense to structure the book that way. I came up with 10 questions that first of all, I actually wanted to answer, (laughs) but also 10 questions that I felt like come up a lot on my podcast or from my audience that that they want to hear more about from me or from their friends or that they want to share about themselves. So I came up with these 10 questions. Some of them are deep. Some of them are not so deep. And just structured the stories that I wanted to tell within the format of those questions instead of trying to make this like meaningful, thoughtful essay. I really just wanted to tell you about the story that happened to my life. You know what I mean? And it, it, so it just came out that way and it felt very natural. It felt much more natural. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that like what seems to flow is what you need to go with instead of trying to like be this other thing. So that's how we got here. It's amazing. The story that I've actually already retold now twice is when the scary van pulled up at the house when you were inside and you were so scared and and the, the neighbor comes walking down the street and you like throw yourself into his arms and just that, and maybe you should... Maybe you should tell the story like a synopsis better than I just did, but why and how that played into your anxiety, which you also talk about in a really impactful way throughout this whole book, starting like in the very beginning and coursing through from your hair pulling to all these things that were manifestations of your anxiety. And then this one moment I felt like was like the pinnacle of everything you've ever worried about (laughs) and the break-in, but we can talk about that after. It was a huge moment in my life. I was a super anxious child. I write about that a lot, my childhood anxiety, and I talk about that online. I pulled my hair out. I had bald spots. I had a lot of coping mechanisms. Like growing up in the 80s in a tiny town in Oklahoma, there was no like help to be had. I didn't see a therapist. I didn't, you know, there was, I was just a little quirky kid, but I, what it really was is I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of ways that that sort of manifested. 
And I was also a latchkey kid. Both of my parents worked. So I was at home alone for hours every day after school, starting in like the second or third grade. And we lived out in the country in the middle of nowhere. And so I would ride the bus home and then be home in the woods for hours. And I was a little bit older when this story happened. And I put it in the framework of the the question, the chapter that this story falls in is, what are you afraid of? And I feel like when you ask someone what they're afraid of, like what their deepest fear is, like who wants to talk about that? Why are we sharing about that? It seems like such a scary thing to talk about. But for me, when I talked about things that I'm afraid of, it makes them less scary. Like the more that I can kind of drag this dark thing into the light, it you know makes it less scary to me. It takes the power away from it. But when I was a little kid and I was at home alone, like the creepiest, most after-school special thing happened <laughs> where a van, a rusty white van pulled into the driveway where I was playing outside and we were out in the country and I just knew it deep inside my soul that it was, there was something not right about it. And, you know, spoiler alert, nothing happened. I was not kidnapped. By You're the still way. here. You're here. This. So, you know, it all worked out. Right. Okay. It all worked out, but it really did kick off for an anxious child. The scary thing that happened that I just intuitively felt like was an evil thing. And I guess we'll never know because again, I wasn't kidnapped, but it really did kick off a lot of things in me. Like I sort of became really obsessed with true crime after that. And I was young, you know, I was, I was preteen probably when that happened. So then into my teenage years and into my college years, I got really into true crime before that was as popular as it is now. I really got very fearful. It was like where my anxiety took a turn and also a deeper layer to that story that nothing ever actually happened in. <laughs> but a deeper layer to that story was I told everyone around me that there was something evil about that van. And again, I was 11, 12. I've been staying home for years. Things had happened. People had rang the doorbell. People had stopped by the house, strangers. And I had never felt this kind of like deep inner fear. So it really bothered me when my parents or my siblings, no one believed me that there was something different about this situation. And so I felt like in that moment, not only did I have a real twist and, and turn towards, you know, you know my, my fear took a real turn, but also maybe that's the moment when I kind of became like a self-advocate or something. Like I realized like no one is going to believe me just on my word of it, just on my own intuition. And I really it really changed my life. Like after that, I stopped staying home alone. I would go to the library after school or other things, but I had to make all those adjustments and all those changes like myself. Like I had to be like, okay, if no one's going to believe me that I'm in danger out there in the woods, I'm going to have to take it on. And I talked about that story in my family. It's sort of a family lore story. Like we talk about it all. We still joke about it. No one in my family still to this moment believes that there was anything wrong with that van. But for me, when I sat down to write my book, it was one of these like primary stories of my life that I wanted to share when I'm thinking of the 10 stories I want to share in my first book. Like it was one of the major ones. And I think that these, this happens to a lot of us in our childhood. We have this pivotal moment and maybe it is a truly tragic moment or something really huge that you can point to, or maybe it's a nothing story like mine, a scary van pulled in, a scary van pulled out. <laughs> And that's the story. <laughs> but it was like a it was like a big thing for me and I wanted to share it also as a way to give the reader permission 
to take those kind of quote unquote nothing stories and, and say like, yeah, this has some weight for me. And it doesn't matter if no one ever understands why that this was like a real moment for me. Well, I think that's something just so relatable when like you have any sort of fear or doubt and you can't get people on your side about it, right? Like, or people say like minimizing the worry, which never helps, right? Like, oh, I'm so worried about, oh, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. Like that makes it worse. That always makes it worse, so. Yeah, it was a really big deal to me that I wasn't believed. And it's also sort of set me on this path of, listening to my intuition or not, which no one talked, used that kind of language with me, you know, back then. But really it is a thing of you, I have to, you have to trust yourself. And if you sense that something is not right here, you have to believe that you have to go with it. And PS, that's how you got all that time in the library. And perhaps that's why you even wrote this book and why we're on the, on the zoom together. Thank you for connecting all no the problem. dots. Thank anytime. You. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. My pleasure. <laughs> I also loved like all your delving into your past relationships and how like each chapter, not every chapter, but many chapters had like little, like, you know, scattered Hansel and Gretel type crumbs of your past relationships from the pastor to like coercing your husband to marry you to, you know, your first boyfriend, like all these broken hearts, like everything. It was, I, I don't know. I felt like the way you kind of unveiled your relationship history was very, I don't know. I almost felt like voyeuristic, like, Ooh, you know, like, like I'm like snooping here into her private life the way, anyway, I found it just like so entertaining and awesome. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that because I will say that is something I'm like, I don't want to say embarrassed about, but I, I have like some vague vulnerabilities that I'm a 41 year old woman married happily mom of two. And I, I'm still writing about like ex-boyfriends and things like that. I was like, am I, I got to the end of the first draft and I was like, did I write too much about my exes? And my publisher was like, maybe, right. Did you take it out? Did you take some out? Is this the edited down version? Yes. <laughs> it is actually. <laughs> I don't know. I really like those parts, you know, because okay, I feel good. like once we're all married and boring and all the rest, it's like... It's nice to hear about what we, what the before was, you know, it's similar to how I feel about like meeting brothers and sisters or friends I made as grownups, right? Whereas when we're kids, you know, everybody's family and it, it's, it just gives a context to everything else, right? It just gives more context to a person to hear about how they kind of got where they are. It does. And in some ways, the same as the white van story being a childhood story, in some ways, those early relationships, your first love or your first heartbreak. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The person you almost married but didn't. Like, all of those people, if you're lucky enough to have had such a trail, then, you know, they, they do matter to your life. You know, like one really bad heartbreak will probably affect how you interact in your next relationship or whatever. You know, there is like a connection to all of these things. And after a certain age or after you've been married a certain length of time, you're not supposed to talk about that anymore. You're supposed to think that that is all dumb and young, immature stuff and doesn't really matter. And that's just not true. It those relationships meant a lot to my life and they definitely affected the relationships after them, which then of course became a marriage. And so, I don't know, I don't think you should dwell on them. And there's obviously an unhealthy toxic place you can get with fixating on past relationships, but I have tons of girlfriends. And like you said, I could hear about their exes right? all day. So <laughs> I'd be like, tell me, <laughs> right? They're, it's funny. It's interesting. Yeah. Like, tell me all the X stories. Totally. Yeah. Plus, you included so much about what it feels like to be sort of a transplant in LA and sort of making that into your home and your whole blog, which of course is how you have turned this whole thing into the thing that it is. In fact, I want to hear more about that. So you started the blog, Hollywood Housewife, right? Did I get that right? Hollywood Housewife. By the way, do you, that do you is know right. the author Helen Ellis? Do you know who she is or have you read her work? Is she the American Housewife? Yes. She wrote American Housewife and Southern Lady Code and has a new book coming out. And she, I think she's from Kentucky, but lives in New York City. Anyway, I feel like you have sort of like you know, you jumped off from different places and then blended on different coasts, but you're both very funny and witty. And anyway, if I were still doing all my events, I would do one with the two of you. Cause like, I feel like you'd have such an interesting conversation. Maybe I could just introduce you. I feel like you would be friends, but anyway. I would love that. She has been in my to read stack for ages. I feel like, because I, I also sort of felt like maybe we would have something in common, but I haven't gotten to her yet, but I will. Okay. I well, I, I don't will. know why I'm plugging another author in the middle of our interview. I'm sorry. I just, yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to like connect you and not in a negative way, but no, I love it. I love it. Anyway. So, okay. So Hollywood housewife, you start the blog. How does the blog become the podcast becomes the book? Tell me that whole story. Well, there are a lot of steps in between, but I started the blog when my daughter was just a few months old. So it was 2010. I'd been reading mommy blogs in the years that I was trying to get pregnant and then while I was pregnant. And, you know, the internet, not the internet as a whole, but blogs and personal sharing and all of this kind of thing was still like a real novelty. And I loved it. I've always felt like I was a writer in my soul. And this removed all the gatekeepers. There was no publishers. There was no, you know, you could just share your stuff online. And I was like obsessed. And so I actually started the mommy blog because that's what people were doing. I didn't have a whole lot of interest in like actually writing about motherhood. I still don't have a lot of interest in, <laughs> in writing about motherhood in general. But 
that was like sort of the avenue, I guess, for me to be able to write immediately. So I started that in 2010. And, you know, I was able to build a little bit of an audience. And a lot of the feedback that I got from people was that they loved reading blogs like I did, and they loved reading my blog, but they would never share themselves. Like they just wanted to read other people's stuff. They they wanted me to keep doing it, but they would never. And that's a very strange backhanded compliment because I think they actually did mean it as a compliment. But actually what they were saying was they would never be so tacky as to put themselves on the internet. and. I just kept receiving that message, some version of that message, like over and over. Then when social media started, there was all this shame around people posting selfies. And I just kept seeing this message of women who like liked other people to share, but they could never share themselves. And it wasn't because they were deeply insecure or anything. Like there was all these reasons, these cultural reasons. Maybe there was some insecurity, but I just was like, it felt passive aggressive and it felt like, I don't know, it felt like people needed a permission to share, but not really, you know, they didn't necessarily want to be on a stage, but they did want to share themselves. They did want to have connection with other people. My time at Hollywood Housewife, like writing that particular blog, which was very family focused as my kids got older. And I also started to tire of the name and the branding, you know, was like, didn't really fit. It sort of meant, was meant to be tongue-in-cheek during the Real Housewives franchise, that boom. But then it started to just sort of be like, I don't, I'm sort of embarrassed to say this, <laughs> but this is the name of my blog. <laughs> so like, I started to phase that out and decided to close that actual blog. But by that time, I was a, a co-host on a podcast called Sorta Awesome, which I had kind of done as a favor to a friend, to be honest. I didn't know anything about podcasting, but I was like, fine, whatever. And I just loved it. Like, as you might have experienced, I ended up loving using my actual voice. I loved having the good conversations. And I'd been trying to to make this writing thing go in a more serious way. Like, and I've been trying to use the blog to do that. When I closed the blog and started talking is when I felt like I really found my voice. It then became so much easier for me to write. Like, because I didn't have all these hangups about the perfect structure or anything. I felt like when I was actually talking and I was getting a response, I I found a groove. And so I sort of took what I had learned during that blogging time, that mommy blogging time of just sort of seeing how lonely women were on the internet. And they were turning to the internet. They were turning to blogs and then eventually social media to watch women share themselves. But they weren't actually sharing their own selves and they didn't know how. So I hosted a few of these challenges to get people to share because what I learned, this is still true to this very moment, is that if you give people an assignment, like if you're like, okay, we're all going to share this thing. We're going to share our favorite reading chair. We're going to share a selfie. We're going to share what we learned this month, whatever. Give them any kind of assignment that people will share. They feel a permission when they say, well, I'm participating in this online challenge so I can share this. Whereas they would never in a million jillion years just say, hey, everybody, this is my favorite reading chair. They just wouldn't do that. But if they have this thing that they're participating in, they will do it and they want to do it. And so 
I love that. I'm like, great. I will give you all the prompts. We will do all the prompts if you will share. You know, if it will get you sharing, if it will get all of us sharing. And so then I started, and, and, and I had done this challenge called 10 Things to Tell You. That's what I called the challenge. It was so successful and made me so happy. But then I decided to make that a weekly thing and make that be a podcast because by then I had discovered that I loved podcasting. So the podcast was called 10 Things to Tell You. The challenge online that I still do is 10 Things to Tell You. And then when I pitched the book, I pitched it as 10 Things to Tell You. But it became Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. And I like that title better. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Or so we're going to tell the publisher. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, I love the title. I would have loved the other title too, but it's great. It, It like just totally tells you who, what type of person the author is and like, you know, the willingness to be open. And then that's when people want to be open back right away. Right. Like you go first, you know, we're in. So <laughs> exactly. I hope that it gives people permission and there is a tiny bit of a self-help element to it. I just, I don't like, I'm not an expert in that. Like I don't have any degree or like, I don't, you know, I, I, I hold all that stuff lightly. I enjoy self-help books and stuff myself. Like I love them. And so I love to talk through what I'm learning and how I'm growing. And that comes out in the book a lot. I think what I'm trying to encourage people to how they can think about this question or this prompt, but I also just want to be really clear with everyone that I like, this is no expertise. I'm a hot, I'm a self-help hobbyist. <laughs> I think when I, I mentioned self-help in the beginning, I didn't mean to, to scare anybody that this is a true expert. I hope that you didn't take it. You know, the stuff with genre these days is so, there's so much overlap, right? But I feel like anything that can help somebody else, I consider sort of self-help, right? When it, when there are, totally. so, you know, but I don't think you have Yeah, to. no, I, I'm all about self-help. I love all of that stuff. Yeah. But like you said, you know, I don't know. And I think this is, this is categorized as self-help or motivation or some kind of thing like that. But there is a lot of personal, a lot of it's my personal story, Yeah, you know, in the book. So, well, I mean, personally, I find that a lot more compelling than more research, right? I mean, research is really interesting as well, but not if you're trying to like spark a conversation, right? That's not... Totally. So yeah, uh, perhaps. So do you have more writing aspirations of what's coming next? Like, what do you want to do? What, what's your, what's your game plan here? Do you have one or? I do. This is a two book deal. So I'm starting a second book in 2021 sometime. I don't know exactly. I don't know, totally know the angle, but it, it will be in the same genre. I guess we'll say I do love sort of mixing this personal essay with other kind of, you know, nonfiction elements. It's a funny hybrid that seems to have sprung up out of internet culture, you know, really maybe speaking directly to the reader, but then also sharing personal things. And then, like I said, it just, it feels comfortable for me. I do hope as I, you know, try to hone write my writing skills on and on, I do hope that I'm maybe writing something different in 10 years, but I've really enjoyed, it has, t- it has been a process to not be embarrassed to be a blogger, to not be embarrassed to be a, you know, self-help hobbyist, <laughs> like to, to, to kind of get where I am and own it and be like, oh, this is actually my sweet spot this year and where I am right now. And like, maybe I'll be a serious writer in the future, or maybe like, this is what my talent is. And that's, that's been a process. I think that was a process all through my 30s and as we slide into my 40s to be like, okay, no, actually, like 
what is prestigious anymore? You know, I mean, like it's, it's kind of just what connects with people. Only one book a year can win the national book award. So you know, I mean? like let someone else win that book award. Like that's not what, <laughs> in, in other words, like there are authors who that's their go-to is that style of writing and the like obsession with form and intricacy and sentence and all of that. Like let them have that if that's their thing. Like that might come as easily to them as you speaking from the heart comes to you. And everyone can tell when someone's trying to be something that they're not, right? So maybe, I don't know, this is like how I felt in business school when every there are people there who are like dying to get jobs in marketing. And I was like, oh, marketing is like a fallback for me. Like this is how I knew I didn't really want to do that, right? Like it's, yes. the, same, it's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, the people who really want to write literary fiction can write literary fiction. Like it doesn't have to be you. That's totally cool. That's right. my, and that's I my love, philosophy. <laughs> I'll love to read it. Like I love, no, to, I love read to read some, it. No, I get it. Really highbrow things. And I like, and I love it and I feel smart and I'm like amazed that people can do it. But like, it's taken me a long time to be like, but I'm not going to do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. You wrote a whole yeah. book and it's a great book and it makes everybody who read it want to be your friend. And how cool is that? I mean, I hope so, Zibby. Well, Thank you for saying that. Let's <laughs> hope so. I think so. Well, now that I've pinned you as some sort of an expert in some way, what advice do you have to aspiring authors? Perhaps aside from not, don't try to, well, that was my advice. Don't try to win the National Book Award on the first try. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I think you should try different avenues to find your voice. Because I knew I was a writer, but when I was writing... You know, and they say you're supposed to write every day to become a better writer and everything. And I did that. I wrote every day on my blog for years and years. And of course, it was an amazing discipline. And I did learn a lot in writing for an audience by doing that. But I had to to take a few years and do something else, which was podcasting, which was using my physical voice. And then I, when I came back to the actual page, I was a much stronger writer. So I don't think that for aspiring authors, you have to be scared of taking some time to do something else, you know, to try painting, to try singing, to, to, you know, you're not losing your writing muscles when you go to try to find yourself or, or try to find a way to express yourself with a different medium. But if writing is really what you want to do, it will come back to you like tenfold. And I really worried when I gave up my daily writing habit that I was sort of giving up that dream. And it was like the complete opposite. It was because I, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but I tried to get a book deal with my blog and all of that kind of stuff. And it didn't go anywhere. I didn't get it. And so when I closed all of that up and I thought that was sort of the end of a chapter, it was like the opposite was true. I needed to go sort of do this other thing for a couple of years. And then when I came back and I was like, I really want to be a writer. I was shocked at how much more easily it flowed then from just taking those, the years of the discipline, but then taking the time to, to do something else. I hope that that makes sense to an aspiring writer because I know that it's scary and that I, I definitely did not know that in the moment. This is me in hindsight, but it's really true. I love that. And I totally relate. (laughs) So that's awesome. And relate to how much, how much fun podcasting is and all the benefits. It's, it's like a writing adjacent activity in a way. Even though- it is. You're still having to express yourself articulately. I mean, you're still having to, you know, it is, it's a, it's a thing. I mean, I'm hoping being articulate is not a prerequisite every day because I'm, 
I'm like struggling to string sentences together today, but you know, in general, you know, self-expression and all that. (laughs) Well, Laura, thank you so much. Thanks again for this awesome book. Share your stuff. I'll go first. 10 questions to take your friendships to the next level. And I'm just like wishing you all the best. I'm so excited you came on my podcast. Thank you. I loved it so much. I love that you're holding it. It makes me so happy. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Today's episode has been sponsored by This Is Everything, the podcast by Ali Levine. And just a reminder again, please pre-order a copy of my book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and go to my website under the anthology tab for the fundraiser, and I hope you'll buy a ticket and join me for, and I should have mentioned, um, all proceeds go to COVID-19 research. So please join me for the fundraiser. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.